0: them to the place, or just have them follow the crowd, and they'll find their way downstairs. Everybody else, please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, and buckle up, we have a lot to cover today. We're going to cover the entire chapter of Hebrews 3. Hebrews chapter 3, which is a lot, uh, but again, we're skimming the surface with the idea, the thought of this consider Jesus greater than uh, again the emblem that is on your board it's not really an arrow it's it's a greater than symbol it looks a little bit like an arrow we designed it that way and the idea is this many times in the christian life as we move forward for those who have been followers of Jesus for a long time or maybe you're a new follower of Jesus On one side of an equation, you have all of your problems, your situations, like I was talking about earlier, they're over here, and we want to put Jesus on the other side of the equation and understand that Jesus is greater than anything. Whatever you may want to fill in on the other side, you can fill it in, but Jesus is greater than. And in the book of Hebrews, we have an author who we don't really know. There's a lot of speculation about who the author of Hebrews is. We really don't know. But we do know that he's writing to primarily a group of people who used to be Jewish and have been Christian for some time. We're not sure where they live. They could be from Jerusalem. They could be from Rome. They're from some major metropolitan area. But in any case, there are those in this group who are now finding persecution and finding the challenges of living the Christian life very difficult. And as a result, they're thinking about going back to Judaism. They're thinking about going back because they either liked the symbolism and they understood what all the rules were and where they stood. And so, for whatever reason, they're thinking about going back. And the author of Hebrews is saying this, Look, consider Jesus greater than anything Jesus is greater than the temple system Jesus is greater than the sacrifices Jesus is greater than the prophets Jesus is greater than Moses Jesus is greater than anything Jesus is greater than your circumstances so in Hebrews 3 verse 1 we've already been looking at this for a number of weeks in Hebrews 3: 1 um, I'm sorry could y'all help me here uh, Hebrews 3: 1. It says this. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, and this is the uh, ESV version, says this: Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, remember this. uh, We've said this before, and this is not original with me. This is pastors for hundreds of years have been saying this. But whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you should ask yourself, what is it? therefore. Well, yeah, you've heard this before as well. What is it therefore? In other words, he is setting up or making a statement based on what he said before. What has he said before? Well, chapters 1 and 2 are foundational, and what he has said is this. In the last days, God has spoken to us in his son. I'm, Matthew, you're just gonna have to change it with me, because I have no control. You, oh, should I use this one? Would that be better? It's me. I'm sorry. It's not Matthew. It's totally me. I've got two buttons up here. Here, we can take this one away and do something else within the future. (laughs) In these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. In other words, Christ is greater than everything that we may have seen in years past. Everything, Jesus, is greater than. And so he's saying, let me see if I can recenter my thoughts and get off the PowerPoint for a second. He's saying this, Jesus is the one through whom everything has been made. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the redeemer. He is the son. He is the heir. He is God. He's fully God. And as a result of being fully God, Jesus is greater than the angels. Then he goes on and says, but he's not just fully God, he's also fully man. As a result of being fully God and fully man, he can lead us, he can guide us to places we could not go on our own. We have no way, for instance, to get back to God on our own. But Jesus, because he was fully God and fully man, he can lead us. Into the presence of God. Not only that, because He's fully God and fully man, He's a brother who loves us. It's not just some leader who's off in a distance, some you know president or prime minister who will never see our president, our prime minister, our king is also our brother. He loves us. We're part of the family of God. These two truths that we hold together are incredible. And not only that, but he's a high priest who who works for us. He's he's interceding for us. He's at the right hand of God. Because Jesus is fully God and fully man, he can do things no one else can do. Lead us to God. Bring us into the family of God. Stand between us and God as a mediator and help us. And and, and therefore, chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. This begins a section where the author of Hebrews is going to say this, because Jesus is these things, now consider him that, and as a result, it should result in something happening in our lives. And I believe what he's saying is it should build up within us faith or confidence about who we are and where we're headed. And so over the next weeks, we're going to look at the confidence that who Jesus is, considering Jesus, brings us. Confidence to hold steady, we're going to look at that today. Next week, confidence to not hide, which many of us are uh, apt to do at times. Confidence to draw near to God. The confidence to grow up, we don't always have to remain babies in the faith. Confidence in the promises of God, because all the promises of God are yes and amen. Confidence is something that at times is hard to build up and easy to lose. We are such fragile creatures. Back in the 1980s, there was a second baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers by the name of Steve Sachs. Steve Sachs was a, a really up-and-coming young player. I don't remember if, how many of you are from the 80s, um, of my, my decade, the 80s. Uh, but in the 80s, Steve Sachs was his great second baseman. But Steve Sachs uh, made one throwing error in one game on a throw-to-home plate where he bounced the ball in, a, a run scored, they lost the game. And something got in his head where he could no longer throw a baseball. He could not throw the. He's a second baseman and he could not make a routine play from second base to first. In 1983, Steve Sachs made 30 throwing errors from, first, from second to first. Now, uh, to make matters worse, the Los Angeles Dodger fans were not very helpful. Uh, after a while, the people on the right field uh, in the, on the first base side started bringing helmets to wear uh, because they were so afraid. His own teammates, Would say stuff like this, Lord, don't let them hit the ball to Sacks, because they knew he was going to make an error. Confidence, once it's lost, and he's got a syndrome named after him called the Steve Sachs syndrome, which is something that gets in your head and you just can't make you can't do something routine. Now he's not the only player who's this has ever happened to. There have been pitchers who couldn't find the strike zone. There have been catchers who suddenly couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher, which is you know, fairly important in baseball. Uh, I've known one of Brian Shoup's players who, a first baseman who, on, after getting it out, couldn't throw the ball around. Whenever he'd go to throw the ball, he'd throw it to left field. I mean, things happen where it gets in your head and you suddenly lose all confidence. Now, I, I don't want to kill the story, but it's, it's great because Steve Sachs eventually got over his syndrome and went on to become an all-star and a gold glove second baseman. He built confidence back up. But for many of us in the Christian life, we've allowed the enemy to lie to us, accuse us about things in our head, and we have lost confidence. We've lost confidence. We believe the lies rather than holding on to the truth. And in chapter 3, the author of Hebrews is going to give us a foundation about how we can build confidence in our lives. So here we go, chapter 3 of Hebrews. Therefore, holy brothers, now I'm reading from the NIV, I'm going back to a different version. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, he says rather than consider Jesus, he says, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what he said uh, what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. If we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Jesus here is called an apostle and high priest. By the way, this is the only time in the New Testament, this is the only time in the Bible where Jesus is called both an apostle and a high priest. Apostle is not something you generally see Jesus referred to as. But the word means sent one, one who is sent. And who better to really have that definition than Jesus. He is the one who is sent. He is the high priest as we looked at last week and we'll look at in the in the days ahead. These terms set up uh, the remainder of the section that Jesus is a high priest and an apostle because he's saying that Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses. Now to our mindset we may be seeing well what is, what is the big deal that Jesus is greater than Moses? But remember, the author of Hebrews is writing to people who used to be Jewish. So Moses, to them, was the man. Jo- Moses, to them, was the most important figure in the Old Testament, bar none. There's no comparison in the Jewish mind. Who is the most important figure in the Old Testament? It's Moses. Because Moses was all of these things. Sorry, Uh, I have way off base here. Here we go. Moses was chosen, Moses was uh, the deliverer, Moses was the prophet. Moses was the lawgiver, Moses was the historian, Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. This is just a list of the things that Moses was to those in Judaism. Remember, he was chosen because he was the one who was rescued out of the river, put in Pharaoh's house, raised in Pharaoh's house. You know the story of Moses, he's the one who was chosen to go down and be the deliverer, to bring the people out of uh, captivity in Egypt He was a prophet. He was one who heard directly from God. He was the one who gave the law through whom the law was given, not just the Ten Commandments, but everything that surrounded it. He's the historian. He's the one who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the most important five books, really, of their significance and and existence. And at the same time, he was the most humble man who ever lived, according to uh, the Old Testament. To say Moses was important is a vast, vast understatement. He even appears on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, uh, Elijah, Moses. Yet, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is greater than Moses because Moses was really a person in God's house. Jesus was the one who built the house. Moses was a servant in that house. Jesus is a son in that house. And by the way, he goes on and says, we are that house. In a theological kind of important twist, because of what Jesus has done, the temple, the tabernacle was not the most important thing. Judaism was not the important thing. What's really important is the people of God who are those who are followers of Jesus Christ. We are the people. We are the house of God. Then, The author of Hebrews gives a negative example of how to lose your confidence, how not to hold on. He says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, Their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declared on an oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Look up here for just a second. No human migration has ever started off more optimistically than the nation of Israel leaving the captivity of Egypt. It's not known exactly how many numbers, uh, how many people left, but the estimates are there were about 600,000 men and about 1.5 million people total who left the captivity of Egypt on the way to the promised land. And they left with incredibly high hopes. I mean, they went from being a slave people to uh, being a free people overnight because of the miraculous things that God did in the nation of Egypt. They also left. <coughs> excuse me. They also left with the riches of Egypt in their hands. The Egyptians were so ready to get these slave people out of their land that they gave them stuff, wealth. I mean, they they started out so well. They go out and uh, start to, to leave. They get to the Red Sea. You know, the Egyptians are pursuing them. God parts the sea. They cross through on dry land. They get to the other side. The Egyptians follow them. Y'all saw the Ten Commandment movie, right? And the water comes back in, uh, drowns all the uh, Egyptian soldiers. I mean, they have gotten out because of the hand of God in unbelievably miraculous ways. Uh, Miriam gets a band up on the other side. They start singing songs of praise to God. You can see how just happy and celebratory they are. I mean, in a matter of days, they are griping. In a matter of days, they get to a place like, I am really thirsty how are we going to get some water out here? Do you think God brought us out here to kill us? I mean, they flipped just like that. They went from, God delivered us from the, so they rebelled, they quarreled, they spoke against God. Now, those who are Jewish know this passage that the author of Hebrews is quoting. You can find it in Psalm 95. It's It's almost an exact quote. The Hebrew passage says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. This is a quote from Psalm 95, which is one of those psalms they sang when they went up to worship before the Lord. And here's what it says in Psalms. Today, he, and this is the quote where he's getting it from. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the desert. The words Meribah and Massa are the words translated rebellion and testing. That's literally what they mean. And so the story is, if you remember, they get out in the desert, they get real thirsty, they start griping and complaining, and God says to Moses, strike the rock, and water's going to come out. So Moses goes, he strikes the rock, water comes out of the rock. Uh, By the way, this is a a side note, that rock is Jesus. Um, Jesus tells us this later in the New Testament. He is the rock from which all life comes. But in any case, Moses strikes the rock, the water comes out, they call the place, they name the place Meribah, and Mesa, which means rebellion and quarreling. They literally named the place for what their hearts were. Now, unfortunately, this is a sign of things to come. Because of the 600,000 men who left Egypt, how many get to enter the promised land 40 years later? Only two over the age of 20 get to enter the promised land. Because of their rebellion because of their quarreling, because of what there is no other people who so visibly saw both the presence of God, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, saw continual miraculous signs, but did not have faith in God. Every time a situation arose, they either quarreled or rebelled or had a lack of faith. They were continually losing confidence in God, or maybe never really had it past the situation or circumstance. I'm not sure if you're hanging with me here for just a second, but this is what's important. The author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is greater than Moses. The people who followed Moses quarreled and rebelled, and their bodies are spread across the desert because they didn't have confidence. How much more, if Jesus is greater than Moses, how much more is the judgment of God going to be released on us if we don't hold fast our confidence in Christ? How much more are we going to be held accountable than those who followed after Moses and rejected God? down in verses 16 through 19 of Hebrews chapter 3, I'm skipping verses uh, 12, 13, 14 for the minute, but down in 16 through 19 he says this, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if they Not to those who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of what? Their unbelief. They lost confidence in God. Time and time again, the unbelief of the people is exhibited. They did not have confidence in God to hold steady. So here's what the author of Hebrews sets up, and here are the three points I want to give to you. The author sets it up by saying, listen, therefore, Jesus is greater than Moses. Because he's fully God, fully man, he's greater than Moses. The nation of Israel under Moses rebelled and disobeyed and therefore lost their privilege. Then in verses 12 through 14, what we're going to look at specifically today, God has given us a way to not be like them. Now, would you say that's important? For us to not be... We don't want our bodies spread across the desert. We don't want to die in the desert. We don't want to lose time. We want to maintain confidence in God. God has given us a way for this to occur. He then reminds those Hebrew readers, you don't want to go back to that. Because what you're going back to is not life-giving. You will never enter rest if you become like, like them. Instead... We're to hold fast to Christ. So, looking at verses 12 through 14, how are we going to have the confidence to hold steady? The first point is this. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Verse 12. says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Turning away from the living God comes at a great price. Would you agree? I mean, it is costly to turn away from God. The human heart is an unusual thing. Now, here's what I believe about our hearts, and I believe I can back this up theologically. Before we know Christ, our hearts are hardened and sinful. We come to know Christ, and he gives us a new heart. He places within us a new heart. Positionally and practically, we've received a new heart. The problem with the new heart is it's always battling with the old flesh. And so something about this new heart he's giving, given me needs to be guarded, needs to be protected, needs to be looked at. I, I, I believe if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ that I no longer have to say my heart is deceitful and wicked. Because I believe God has given me a new heart. But at the same time I recognize there's something of the already but the not yet about my heart. And so there's this battle taking place within me that if I'm not careful, my heart can continually either be turned or hardened or embittered, and so I need to guard my heart. Paul says in Romans 7 this, and he's talking to believers in Romans 7. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in my members, in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Paul is recognizing that in this life, he's got this battle going on, and he goes, but thanks be to God who gives me the victory. He understands that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, but we need to remain in Christ Jesus. Our hearts need to be guarded because there's this thing always trying to come against us to rob us, of our confidence and our joy in the Lord. Chris Tomlin has a new arrangement of the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. That song was written by a guy by the name of Robert Robinson at the age of 23. Uh, at the age of 20, he became a follower of Jesus Christ by going to a, uh, a service where uh, George Whitfield preached. Uh, this is um, hundreds of years ago. And here George Whitfield preach, he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, and then three years later, he writes this great hymn, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Sadly, after writing this hymn, Robinson falls away from faith. (laughs) Here's the progression of Robinson's life. He went from being a Methodist, to being a Baptist, to being a Unitarian, Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a Baptist. Uh, We're Baptists. I don't think it's lower on the totem pole than Methodism, but he went from Baptist to Methodist to being a Unitarian, which basically does not believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. His heart fell away from the Lord. There's a story that's reported that years and years later, he was riding in a coach with a young woman who was reading a book of hymns and poetry, and the young woman turns to... Robinson, and quoting the words of this song, she reads this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Not knowing who she's talking to, she says to him, what do you think of these words? To which he breaks out in tears and says, I am the unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. You know, we can make these claims about our hearts wandering, but if we don't guard our hearts, they are prone to wander. Listen, this may be a hard word for some of us, but sometimes we do not guard our hearts very well. We think we can read anything see anything, listen to anything, go anywhere, do anything, and it not affect our hearts. And I would say, listen, people, we need to guard our hearts better because all of us, there is not one person in this room whose heart is so strong in and of themselves that if you don't guard your heart, that it's not prone to wander. The heart is a fickle thing. In Acts chapter 14, um, these people listen to Paul preach, and they go from wanting to sacrifice to him as a God to wanting to stone him in one day. It says in Acts 14, verse 18 even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Paul is saying, hey, hey, we're not gods. We're just men. We're just men. Don't sacrifice to us. Even saying what they said, they had trouble keeping the people from sacrificing to them because they saw some miracles. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. That's how quick things can turn. Have you ever been in one of those circumstances or situations where everything went from really good to let's kill these people in no time? Anybody watch football yesterday? I mean, it's it's like that. Our hearts go from victory to defeat in no time. The heart is fickle, and it is so self-centered. Back in August of 2001, a distraught woman was posed to jump from the Interstate 5 Ship Canal Bridge in Seattle. Evidently, it's a high bridge. I don't really know this bridge in Seattle, but... She was a 26-year-old, desperate, just decided she was going to jump from the bridge. She gets out on the bridge to jump. What happens is she creates a massive traffic jam of people backed up because this woman's distraught woman on the bridge. Now, these poor people, they're backed up. They're in their cars. They see this poor woman who's about to jump. I'm sure their hearts went out to her and said, please don't, you know what they did? They're like, go ahead, jump. If you're going to jump, get it over with. I mean, it's reported that tons of people encouraged the woman to jump so that they could get moving because the traffic was so backed up. That's how sick our hearts are. Now, the woman did jump because no one was there to say, don't jump, come back, I'm going to help you. She survived, but it just shows the condition of our hearts that we would rather a woman jump to save me time rather than rescue someone else. Leads me to the second point, which is this. We need to help each other. We need to guard our hearts, but we need to help each other. Verse 13 says this, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be burdened by sin's deceitfulness. God has called us into community. I I am a firm believer in this. We preach this all the time. It's why we rely so heavily on small groups while we're pushing small groups. Listen, even in a congregation of two to 300, it is easy to hide. It is easy just to wander in. Come to worship service. Maybe say hi to a couple of people if you get here early enough, if you're actually here at the start of church. By the way, we start at 10 o'clock every week. It's an incredible. The start of church is just special. You should be here sometime for it. Um, and so we start at 10 o'clock. I know sarcasm is not a good thing, but I couldn't help myself. And we have a greeting time where we greet each other at the beginning of the service. And you, you could come to church and just be part of this, and it'd be great, and you'd be blessed. But listen, really being a part of the uh, family of God is about being in community with one another. You can't really help each other or encourage one another if we don't know one another. It's a lot harder to hide in a small group. And as a result, we want you to be a part of a small group because we want to encourage you. We want you to be encouraged. We want you to encourage others. The word for encourage here, by the way, is the word that comes from um, the Greek for paraclete. You know, the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. That's one of the terms that's referred to him. Uh, Paraclete is one who helps, who encourages. In, In the Roman mindset, the paraclete, a paraclete was the one who had your backside. The one, the soldier who was behind you. He's the one who protected you. He's the one who looked out after you, behind you, where you could not see. We're, we as a family of faith are called to encourage one another, to h- build each other up. In John 16:1, Jesus says this. After talking about the Holy Spirit and family and community, he says this. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. The word astray here is the word for trap, that you would be trapped. You know, those traps with the box and the stick underneath where you wander under and the stick gets pulled and you're trapped. That's that picture here. That if we're not careful, we need somebody to say, don't go in there. Don't do that. Simple question Who's watching your back? Who could you say today? is someone in your life that is encouraging you and looking out for you. The author of Hebrews says, look, encourage each other as long as it's called what? Today. Today, encourage one another. You can't encourage people yesterday. You don't know what tomorrow holds, but today, and it's capitalized today, meaning during this time, it's, it's a very special uh, word about um, who we are in Christ and the age in which we live. Encourage each other as long as it's called today. Now, some of you may be saying, well, what would I say to someone? If I was going to encourage someone, how, what would I say to them? Let me give you three quick things to say to them. Remind them of their position. Remind them of their position. I like going to the mountains. Um, we've talked about this before, but a couple of years ago, I was hiking with my brother and a couple other pastors, and we were hiking through these woods, and we hiked for several hours. Until we got, You feel like you're going nowhere, except you know you're going uphill, but all the woods start to look the same after a while. All the trees, and then suddenly you come out of the trees, you come up above the tree line, and you can look back, and you can see where you started. For some of us, we're so locked into the trees and surroundings around us, we're not sure that we've made any progress. We need people in our lives to say, I, You have come so far. God has done so many great things in your life. Paul says in Philippians 1, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Hey, look where you've been and know that you can be encouraged, you can help someone, encourage somebody, because you've seen God's work in their lives. Remind them of their potential. Remind them of where they're headed. God has brought us out from somewhere, but we're not there yet. Thomas Carlyle says this, Tell a man he is brave and you will help him become so. By the way, parents, this is why you should never tell your children they're such losers. They're never going to amount to anything. I know you don't here, but I've heard parents say to their kids, You are such a, and they speak a negative word to them. They're cursing their children. Now, I'm not saying tell your child they're going to become something they'll never become, but start to see who they are in Christ and call it out from them. Encourage one another. Wilfred Peterson says, Words of encouragement fan the spark of genius into the flame of achievement. At age 16, Edward Steichen bought a camera and took 50 photos. You with me? Bought a camera, took 50 photos. 49 of them didn't turn out. Only one of them turned out. He was not, don't be too hard on him. He was only 16, and the year was uh, 1895. So it wasn't like he had an iPhone and could just click around. You know, I mean, cameras were kind of in the new stage at this point. The only picture that turned out was a picture of his sister at the piano. His father was not very impressed with the fact that he had 49 out of 50 failures, and did not think it was a very good showing. His mother, on the other hand, as moms would be more apt to do than dads at times, was very encouraging and said, this is the best picture of your sister at a piano that's ever been taken. Of course, it's the only, you're with me. Anyway, it encouraged him to become a photographer. And if you read the history of photography in the twentieth century, he is one of the most influential photographers in both fashion and art. And as a matter of fact, he died in 1973 at the age of 93. But one of his earliest photographs, which was taken in 20 excuse me, in 1904, it sold about eight years ago. Eight years ago, it's called Moonlight. The Pond. It's called The Pond slash Moonlight. It was taken in 1904. It sold for what was then a record amount $2.9 million. What made the difference in his life? What made the difference in his life was the difference between someone saying, This is not working for you, to somebody saying, This is great, and encouraging him and seeing the potential for where he could be. Third point is remind them of their partnership. Remind them that they are not in this alone. Therefore, he who began a good work in you will see it forward to completion. This is not just about us. This is about us together for the future. We need to encourage one another. On June eighteenth, nineteen 1956, 10 people were riding in a They were attending a conference in upstate New York, and they went out on a boat ride in a speeding powerboat in 1956 across a lake called Shroon Lake. Suddenly, a wave struck the boat, and it hurled two of its occupants out. One was a 50-year-old man, and the other was a young girl. The 50-year-old man swam to the young girl and held her above water until the boat could come back around. He lifted her to safety, and then he sank and drowned. The man's name was Dawson Trotman. Dawson Trotman was um, the founder of the Navigators. He worked closely with Billy Graham, founding the counseling and follow-up program to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Uh, In his 30 years of service, really, it was his mission in life to lift other people up, to encourage them, to build them up, to help others. Billy Graham said at his funeral the following words, I think Dawson Trotman touched more lives than any man I have ever known. This is coming from Billy Graham. That's pretty high praise, would you not say? We today are only representatives of thousands of many races and languages and cultures that have been touched by this great man. There could not have been a more dramatic and characteristic way to die. He who spent all of his life in bringing salvation and a building to others, spending his last moments in saving the life of one who could not swim. We need to help each other. Final point is this. How are we going to stay confident in the Lord? We need to guard our hearts, help each other, and we've got to figure out a way to stay fresh. Hebrews 3.14 says this. We have come to share in Christ If we hold firmly till the end, the confidence, there's that word confidence, we had it first. Somehow we've got to figure out in this marathon how to keep fresh while running. The message, which I, at times, I really like the way it reads. These verses 12 through 14 in the message, they read like this. So watch your step, friends. Make sure there's no evil unbelief lying around that will trip you up and throw you off course, diverting you from the living God. For as long as it is still God's today, keep each other on your toes so sin doesn't slow down your reflexes. If we can only keep our grip on the sure thing we started out with, we're in this with Christ for the long haul. We're in this for the long haul. Anything over time grows stale if we don't keep it fresh. My daughter Annalise makes unbelievable chocolate chip cookies. I mean, they're, they're, they're incredible. Her brothers will call ahead and place an order for chocolate chip cookies. Say, Annalise, go make some cookies. So that when they get there, they're fresh out of the oven. I mean, they won't even let them get cooked. They want to eat the dough. before they, I, I, I make them wait until they're cooked because they're so good. Now, those same cookies that are so awesome right when they come out of the oven, you give them a month. And they are not all that great. As a matter of fact, nobody's killing to eat one of those cookies a month later. Because they have grown stale. We have to figure out a way to stay fresh in the Lord. And I believe that there are many within the Christian life who over time, they're living on yesterday's stuff. They're living on old stuff. And we need to guard our hearts and encourage one another and stay fresh In our walk with the Lord. In 1 Samuel, David was facing a difficult situation. I mean, the people were thinking about stoning him because things had kind of turned bad. David didn't have anyone around to encourage him. So, what did he do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. Listen, there are times when there won't be anybody else around, but encourage yourself in the Lord. Stay fresh in your walk with him. Here would be my question to us today. And and I know this is true because I know I've talked to people, even within this great church, who at times they've come to a place where they just feel like their confidence has been shattered. Shattered. Their confidence has been shaken. Now, they're not thinking about leaving God, but they're just, we're just at times kind of hanging on. Our confidence has been shattered because health issues have arisen. Our confidence has been shattered at times because we did, God didn't work in the way we thought he was going to work. Our confidence has been shattered because we've faced tragic situations with either children or or spouses or whatever the case may be. Maybe we're just disappointed in people around us. But whatever the case may be, I want to say to us today, look, we serve a great God who loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. Not only that, but he continues to work on our behalf, to lead us, to bring us into the family of God. And if we're going to have the confidence to hold steady, the confidence to, to really move forward in what God has for us, first, guard your heart. Look at what's happened to your heart that has caused it to become hard. Get in a place where you can be around people who can encourage you, who can Build up what God is doing. And also figure out a way to stay fresh in your walk with the Lord. Read his word. Worship him. Be around others who speak life rather than death into your life. Let the Holy Spirit infuse you with his power and his presence today. Stand up with me if you would. While I pray... Our ministry teams are going to come to the front, and if you're here today and you would need, you would say, you know what, I I need this. I need to have confidence rebuilt in my life. I, I just have, I've become either stale or stagnant. I need a fresh endowment of the presence and power of God. I need somebody to pray with me. Maybe you need someone to pray with you for health or direction or freedom and the lifting of burdens. While I pray, these ministry teams are going to come spread across the front. Just come to them, one of them, and allow them to pray with you. And while you do that, uh, Adrian is going to lead us in worship. Lord, we thank you this morning. We bless you. We praise you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that your presence would be here among us. That you would come and work in our lives. Lord, I believe that there are people today who are barely hanging on. And they need a fresh touch from you, confidence that comes only from God. Their hearts need to be touched and revitalized in the Lord. And I pray that Spirit of God, you would do that here today. So come, Holy Spirit, move among us, bringing life, health, wholeness. Need prayer? Just move right now. Come while Adrian leads us.